Good morning. So glad you're here. About to step into some serious worship now. Okay? Listen, let me help you prepare. It's important to prepare for worship. Do you agree? Amen. Do you know what keeps people from worship on Sunday morning most often? Saturday. <laughs> Think about it, right? Oh, man, I really messed up with God on Saturday. Oh, wife and I had a big fight Saturday night. Oh, no. I'm not worthy to come into worship. That's exactly what the enemy wants you to think. We'll never be worthy. You might as well get past it and just ask him right now for forgiveness, okay? Don't let that be in the way of your worship at all this morning. He has made us free. Amen, brothers and sisters? Yeah. Free, okay? And we're not free if we're still enslaved to the guilt. And his blood is shed for us, and it's powerful for sin. Take a minute, as we just start now, and invite him, okay? Ask him for forgiveness, and invite him now. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh my soul, worship His holy Sing like never before, O oh my soul, I worship Your Let your soul sing now. The sun comes up, it's a new day, Lord. 
healing The end draws near and my time has come My soul will sing your praise unending Ten thousand years and then forevermore Hallelujah! Bless the Lord, oh my soul Oh, oh my soul Worship His holy name Sing like this your soul bow down now. I worship. I worship your holy name. Father in heaven, we do worship you. Right now, Lord Jesus, right now, we bow down to you. This moment, Lord God, this time, this day, these people, we belong to you. Thank you so much for all your grace to us, Lord. Thank you for Linda starting us out with amazing grace. Lord God, your people are before you, and we understand, Father, why we're here. To bless you. To bring joy to your heart, Lord God. To make you glad that we're your children. You have been feeding us and protecting us and saving us and helping us and counseling us and giving, giving, giving to us all week. You've done amazing things for us, Lord. You've pre prevented things from happening that we don't even know about. Yeah. So we just want to acknowledge, Lord. The very spirits of us want to bow down before you, Lord God. You alone are worthy of our worship. Thank you for loving us, Lord God. We love you so much, Lord. We're glad that you made music so that we could express even more deeply than words what you mean to us. We're so thankful you've made a way for our souls to sing, to praise you and to honor you because you deserve it. Thank you, Jesus for your shed blood. Thank you for defeating sin on our behalf. Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence with us now. Wherever we go, Father God, we're so thankful that you are there with us. In Jesus' name, amen. I like this song because it does really ring in my heart, really ring in my heart with regard to prayer. This song has a lot to do with prayer. How many of you have said in prayer, uh, Lord, would you be with me today? And you prayed for someone, oh, Lord, be with Pastor Scott as he preaches this morning. Well, when I wait, <clears throat> I understand what you're asking, but you aren't 
thinking that God's not going to be there, are you? See, see, we shouldn't be asking him to do things that we know he's going to do, that we trust him to do, so we get to thank him for things. We get to thank him for being with Pastor Scott when he preaches this morning. We get to thank him for being present with us this morning. We get to thank him in worship. So this song is sung to him. It says, when I walk through deep waters, I'm not asking you to be with me. I know that you are. Not alone. Not alone, brothers and sisters. Tell him thank you. When I walk through deep waters, I know that you will be with me. When I'm standing in the fire, I will not be overcome.
If you love the Lord Jesus, raise your hand. See, no pressure, huh? You get like, oh, well, I'm, I'm I, can't, I can't not raise my hand. That's why I did it, just to pressure you. See, but doesn't it feel good? And if it, do, you, do you sense his pleasure when you do that? Try it. Try it again. If you love him, raise your hand. Yeah. Do you sense his pleasure? See, he, that, he's responsible for that. You, you cannot produce that. All you can do is say, I love you, Lord. I love you. See, we come into worship with gifts. And, and sure, you can, you can know and believe that he's going to respond to us. But we're not here to be fed. He's been feeding us all week. But he responds. When you say, I love you, Lord, right now. I love you, Lord. Just by raising your hand, you can tell him, I love you, Lord. What does he do? Well, it's about time. <laughs> He's like, I love you too, child. I love you too. Thanks for telling me you love me, child. Yes. I can tell it's from your soul. You see what you're doing in his heart? That's why we're here. This says to him that we trust him. Okay, Great hymn coming up. Faith is the victory. Faith and trust are interchangeable words in God's heart. So as we sing faith is the victory, enjoy and celebrate. The victory is ours because he's worthy of our trust. Amen?
Yeah, give him some glory. Yeah. Unto him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the joy of hearing your word. We thank you, Lord God, that it pleases you when we spend time listening for your voice in your written word. We bring Pastor Scott to you right now, Lord God, and we lay him in your arms. Father, that even in this final moment, he would be listening and hearing from you and excited and sensing your approval as he brings to us what you've been sharing with him. Thank you so much for your presence with us, Holy Spirit. We just want to tell you again in worship, as we continue in worship, listening to your word, that we love you. We love you, Lord God. Thank you so much for loving us first. In your name we pray. that's really important as well but mostly I just want my goal as a pastor is just to try to get you as familiar with God and as familiar with your Bible as you possibly can be because those are the two things you need not only to live a life of faith but just to live a life and this is my beautiful can of white wine to return you water thank you so much guys lot of moving parts here we are just if you're visiting today this is the third week we've had a live band so we're still kind of keep getting all the pieces together so thank you for your patience we do have a lot of visitors here or at least a lot of new faces so uh church family make sure you you say hi to people all right but don't be that creepy stalker kind of high all right just be careful of people's personal bubbles all right oh there we are i hear it now unfortunately all right Hey, you know, I wanted uh, today. I'm I'm calling my my myself. I'm calling the message um, "Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth." Now, if you like Christian music and you particularly, for some reason, love a little Latino heavy percussion, fast-paced music, I'm gonna recommend you ter- you boot up your Spotify or whatever you listen to music on, and you uh, look up the band Burlap to Cashmere, and you're welcome. All right, yeah, it's just a this is a great song completely not doable in church, I think, because it's so fast, Um, but it's really fun to listen to. But also, as I started kind of preparing for this message today out of Luke 17, you know, in my Bible, it's subtitled Instructions, which is 
kind of weird, I think. But anyway, but I started, as I started studying this passage more and more, this passage that's so familiar, I've read it several times, I started seeing the deeper instructions for all of us, for myself, that are embedded in, in these verses by God. And that's the beauty of being in God's word, is every time you pass through it, there's just something more that you understand because of the moment in your life that you are in right now. And so I've read the Bible through several times, and every time I'm like, I don't remember this, <laughs> or, or whoa, why have I not seen that before? And, and that's the joy and the beauty and just the journey of being a, a faith-filled person that wants to understand God's word. And I really encourage you to do that. We are wrapping up. I was reading the morning devotional today, and we have this thing going in the church where uh, many of us are reading through the New Testament in 2021. And of course, November somehow is halfway over already. And so we are almost done. Like we're finishing Hebrews, I think on Wednesday. I'm kind of OCD, so I look ahead. And then we've got like the, the Peters, the Johns, the Jude, and then Revelation. For, and then we're done. We've read the entire New Testament. And many of you have done that very faithfully. And, and it's been, I hope it's opened your eyes. I know it's opened my eyes. And it's just fun to do together. In January, we'll start read through the Old Testament in a year. And I started with the New because the old is so much bigger, so you're gonna and so you're gonna have to read more, and you're gonna have to read through like Leviticus, all right, which is a tough book to get through, <laughs> and because um, that's where all the rules were kind of spelled out um, rabbinically. So anyway, um, let me just uh, pray this morning and let's get started in God's word, Father God. Whew, I thank you so much. I thank you for your spirit, for your energy, for your laughter for your joy, for your love, for your grace on me and on each of us this morning. May this uh, message from your word be worthy of your word. May you guide my thoughts and my, my mind and my words um, to stay with you, Father, and um, not run off in any rabbit trails. Well, okay, not too many. And uh, we just want you to know we love you, Lord. We're trying to learn more about you every day. And as Rob said earlier, we just want to lift our arms and um, say we, we believe you, we love you. And we want more of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I am going to, um, part of basic instructions before leaving earth is the word instructions. And so I'm going to be bouncing in a couple of uh, side scriptures um, that, this morning that I found really useful for this instruction. I encourage you to have a pencil out. I had to write a lot of them in my Bible, so I mean, there are a lot of different verses here. And so uh, as I read them off, if one strikes you, you might want to just write it in your Bible. You can do that. You won't go to hell if you mark your Bible up, all right? I'm just, in case you were curious, it's definitely not gonna happen, all right. So let's dig in, starting with the two verses of Luke 17. And it says that Jesus said to his disciples, it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come. But woe to him through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he would cause one of these little ones to stumble. 
That's a hard, that verse itself makes me stumble a little bit because a millstone is a huge, I've seen them in Italy, they're these huge stones that are set on a central like pivoting pillar and they would raise the stone and then stick a block in the pillar so that it was up off the bottom stone because they're heavy. It'd take many people, a couple of people to lift this stone. It's huge. And then they would push grain inside of it and they drop it on the grain and then they they had either themselves or donkeys, because some of these stones were huge, um, and they would just go around in a circle, and that top stone would just grind on the bottom stone. And so all that grain would slowly be turned into flour. And that's how they got flour, right? And then they would lift the stone again, peg it, and just kind of scrape off all the now flour, throw some more grain in, drop it, and start all over again. And um, I saw a couple of, Kathy and I saw a couple of them in Pompeii, but they were much smaller. They were only about this big. But you couldn't, you weren't supposed to touch it, so I did. And, um, and I might have tried to move it. Um, and I couldn't even get it to budge. It was so heavy. And it was only maybe this big. And they had some that were so big, they had to have donkeys, like, pulling it around. So um, this is a huge stone. And so while God is telling us, you know, things are going to come along, COVID, uh, a breakup, uh, an F at school, whatever it is for you, um, there's going to come, come things in life that are tough, that will kind of cause you to stumble in, in your walking through life, right? Um, that's important to know because it's not just you, you know. It's not God's will for your life. Um, as a lot of people will say, it's just something that happens in a fallen world that we live through. And another reason why we need Jesus, why we need God to understand that and to carry us past that stumbling. Notice he doesn't say you're going to fall down. He says you're going to stumble, but you're not going to fall down. With the Lord, I don't believe you can fall down. And there's always hope to keep going, no matter how hard the pressures are, no matter how tough life seems to get. For all of us, for me, for you, it, when we have the eternal hope of Christ at the end of all of this stuff, and even during it, as Rob said, through it, not just asking him to be with us. I think we, uh, Rob probably wrecked your prayer life this morning. Um, you, you know, you can really never pray. Jesus be with me, because, you know, he is. So, you know, uh, I don't know why we would pray that, and I do it all the time. But, um, but this is the thing, is with God, we have this, this kind of instruction, the basic instructions before leaving earth, before going to heaven, right? So it's a twofold teaching in the sense that not only is that important to understand in life, to carry you through, to know that God is with you and he understands this stumbling block has been put in front of you for whatever reason, or you've put it in front of you for whatever reason. That's what usually happens to me. And, um, but it's going to be okay. So he's teaching that. Expect that. But also, you've got to be really careful with your faith because your Faith can be a stumbling block to finding Christ for other people. So what does that look like? That looks like a person who proclaims Christ as their Lord and Savior who are hateful to other people in any way. That looks like the, uh, the Christian or Christian church or group of people that go out and, you know, in the old days it used to be bomb abortion clinics or whatever it was, right? God is a God of love, and that's all that he wants preached and understood. 
Jesus himself said, the greatest commandment on earth is to love God. And the second and really only other commandment he gave us is to love each other as much as we love ourselves. He knew we were a little prideful, right? Um, but that's all he wants us doing. So anytime you step out of that, anytime you, you are nasty or, or have mean words or cause a fight or ridicule someone or tell an inappropriate joke about race or whatever it is, you're stepping out of the will of God. That's not what God would have us do. God would have us focused our eyes on each other in love and respect and support because he knows this world is hard. We live in a fallen world. It's through him that we find the strength in his teachings to navigate this world, stumbling ourselves and grabbing other people's hands when they stumble. And we, we travel together towards heaven. A couple of uh, passages, two scriptures I found really kind of interesting when I was reading this was, uh, the first one is Psalm 119, 165. Psalm 119, 165, if you want to write it. Those who love your teachings, God, will find true peace. Nothing can make them fall. Nothing can make them fall. True peace. Now, the, the condition there is those who love your teachings. Now, we all would say, oh, man, I love God's teachings so much. But this is your teachings, this, you know, fragile kind of fallen Scott. You know, this is what you get. This is the teachings. And so when you come to a place where you love spending some time reading, listening, whatever it is, not everybody's a reader. And it's, it's hard to, to slog through some of these passages, but they're all important. It's when you come to love that, to look forward to that, that you know you're, you will actually, you don't even need to know, you will start to find true peace. And nothing can really make you fall permanently. I wish we could get this in to young people's minds. I was a youth pastor for eight, something, eight years, I think. And, you know, you see the junior high is just nasty, right? That's when everybody learns to be nasty. And then, and then high school is where you kind of hone uh, a cunning, cunning ways of being nasty, right? <laughs> I mean, not generally, but it is kind of. And I, I wish we could get this idea into younger people's hearts and minds. And it's why it's, it's hard to not see more children um, at church and, you know, more young people. And that, that's starting to happen. But because if they could just learn and actually have it in their hearts, that if, if they love God's word that tells them to love him and love each other, that they're actually going to find some measure of peace in junior high. Other people are going to be there, so I can only say some measure, but some measure. And they're going to find peace in high school and college and marriage and whatever, you know, their careers and these kinds of things. It gives us a different perspective. Another verse is Romans 9.32. Romans 9.32. I feel like I'm calling out bingo. Okay, it says... They failed because they tried to make themselves right by the things that they did, right? They did not trust in God to make them right. And they, fail, they fell over the stone that makes people fall. And now there he's talking, Paul is particularly talking about the Jews who did not recognize Jesus. And, it has, and not recognizing him and... Uh, arranging to have him illegally and wrongfully 
uh, tortured and crucified. And then to have him rise again, you had this upswell, some movies have been made about this, of Roman people that were, were you know, they were involved in that. And then they saw the resurrected Jesus and were like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You know, there's a lot of people that claim to be God, but I haven't seen one raise himself from the dead before. Maybe I should like think about paying attention to this guy. And, um, and it became like a stumbling block for them because imagine you were at the cross. Imagine you had a sledge in your hands. And I'm a, I got a degree in medieval lit, so I learned some of this stuff, unfortunately. You have the sledge in your hand and you have these huge like horseshoe nails, big giant nails, right? It's not little like carpenter nails that we sell at, you know, you can buy at Ace Hardware or whatever. These are big, nasty, hand-forged nails. And they drive those, you drive one of those through his wrist. Say you got, you're in charge of the left wrist. And so at the cross, you nail that to the cross. And you're jeering at him and like, this is just another dirty Jew, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, I got to, this guy's stirring everybody up and I got to try and make peace. I mean, you think you're doing the right thing. And then you help like push that cross up. Now a cross, when they, when they set it up, they have the hole dug for the cross already. And they have, it, they have the cross laid out with the foot of it at the edge of the hole. And so not only are you now nailed to the cross, but then when a couple of guys lift this cross up, it slams into this hole and, and you're suspended by it by nail. Sorry, I know it's kind of nasty. Um, and I'll stop now. But there's all this stuff going on. And I'm sure a couple of people were like, yeah, this is fun, you know, because we're stupid humans. And can I use stupid in church? Probably not. Um, and so you have this whole thing going on, and then later on you see Jesus walk by you. Uh-oh. Or you hear Jesus talking, and you look over, and there's that nail hole in his wrist. Man, that would be horrible. And that's the stumbling stone. That's exactly what Paul is teaching about now. They failed because they tried to make themselves by the things that they did. That's what the Jewish people did. You know, we have, I come from a Jewish family, we have these 600 and something laws that we have to do to make ourselves right before God, right? And they were so focused on the things that they did that they didn't trust in God in the crucifixion of Christ that he predicted could just make right by doing, by the sacrifice we used to have. And right after that, well, about 30 years after that, the temple is destroyed. And now as a Jew, I can't make a sacrifice to atone for my sins at the temple anymore. I have to do these things called mishnas, which are just good deeds to try and balance the scales, right? And then you start to realize, you know, this is just humans kind of trying to find the right way to live. And it's clearly not probably true. But then Jesus walked by. <laughs> Whoa. That, that was, that's the nit. Oh my. And then also, we also, not just for ourselves, remember, this is also for other people, stumbling blocks. We have to set our minds to the much harder task, especially in today's age of outrage. Um, and I'm terrible at this, trying to get better at it. We have to treat people well. Because if someone sees me doing something, playing something on YouTube or 
disc, you know, wherever, or whatever it is, and they're thinking, this is terrible. Like, this guy claims to be a Christian, a man of, or woman of peace, but this is how they are in real life? Well, I can get that with people. I mean, hypocrisy is rampant everywhere. I don't need church for that. That's just a lot more work to get the same thing. We have to be careful of how we conduct our lives. It's super important before other people. Psalm 69.6 says, uh, My Lord, God, all-powerful, don't let me embarrass your followers. Hmm. This is David, right? God of Israel, don't let me bring disgrace on those who worship you. You know, I pray those kinds of things constantly just for me because it's important, you know? I'm just me. I'm just Scott. I'm just a guy trying to figure this out right along with you guys. You just pay me to spend a lot more time nerding it up, right? I'm still trying to figure this out. Don't let me be a stumbling block for somebody else whose faith is fragile or weak or non-existent. Help me be the kind of man that people are drawn to because there's something different. And it's not me that's different. It's Christ in me, the hope of glory. 1 Corinthians 10.32 says, Never do anything that might make other people do wrong. Jews, non-Jews, or anyone in God's church. Romans 14, 13 says, so we should stop judging each other. Let's decide not to do anything that will cause a problem for a brother or sister or hurt their faith. Let's just decide that stuff. It's a lot of good teachings there. We have to be careful how we live our faith because it's Ultimately, it's extremely important, especially for other people. Next two verses, verses 3 and 4. This is Jesus speaking. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, or your sister, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. Now, repentance is just simply an understanding that what I'm doing isn't lined up with what God wants me to be doing. I realize that. I confess that. Uh, it might be just to him. It might be silently. It might be out loud. It might be to the person or thing that I've wronged, whatever it is. And I determine to change my ways, to refocus my alignment to the cross. And I'm going to mess it up. I'm probably going to have to go through that process a couple of times before I figure it out. I'm just kind of dense that way. But that's the point, is repentance is this constant scrubbing of our lives until the day our lives end, you know? These are basic instructions until we leave earth, right? And so he asks us to do that, but he's not really asking us to do that. He's actually asking us to accept that other people do that. I think the hardest thing to do in life, for me at least, is to forgive someone when they've greatly wronged me. That's very difficult. And it could be for any reason whatsoever. What I've shifted my life to uh, more than a decade ago is, where is that person coming from? Because clearly, I have communicated in a way that I didn't intend to. Or he, he or she has seen something that I really don't see as part of who I am, so I've done something to give them the wrong idea. And I think about the other person. Are they in a struggle right now? Are they under extreme pressure? 
Have I just said something casual that they took in a different way and I just need to apologize and set that right? I don't know what those things are, but that's what I want to do. I want to constantly be trying to just stay at peace and, and unity with other people. And it's hard, and I fail a lot. We all do, if we're going to be honest. But that's what God is calling us to do here, this idea of long-suffering. That it's not a suffering like, oh, gosh, you know, whatever. No, it's an idea of, man, this is, i got to help make this right. I'm going to struggle through this until it's right somehow. That's what God is calling us to here. In 2 Timothy 4.2, it tells us, um, well, Paul's telling Timothy, actually, a young man that he was kind of mentoring. And this is actually, I believe, the last letter Paul writes before he's um, beheaded, before he dies. And he's writing it to his young adult buddy, or his young adult mentor, mentee, mentee. (laughs) And he says, hey, Timothy, tell everyone God's message. Be ready at all times to do whatever is needed. Tell people what they need to do. Tell them when they are doing wrong and encourage them. And do this with great patience and careful teaching. And he expects young Timothy to be able to do that. And Timothy does go on to have a great place in the gospel spreading and the Christian church in general. This young, very young man. Galatians 5.22 is is a passage um, I just want to explain for a minute. I have really recently come to understand for myself that what I need to do for my life and to encourage all of us to do is to live in a life that is producing the fruits of the Spirit. And if you don't know what those are, I'm going to read them in a second. But the idea is if we are truly like a tree of life, if, if we're truly um, holy temples, like God says we are, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, what we should be producing in life is certain types of fruit for other people that are all good. And I'll read those. And before he, he uh, describes this in Galatians, there's actually a passage that nobody seems to really catch. I didn't until recently. That's actually kind of the fruits of evil. And if you read those... It's convicting, like, uh, I think I'm producing more out of this black tree than I am out of this living tree. I need to work on that, right? So in Galatians 5, if you want to look those up, and I think this is critical for you to, to know, is study the fruits of the spirits in Galatians 5. It is super critical. If you start living your life to produce the fruits of the spirit mentioned in Galatians 5, I guarantee you will be lined with God's path for your life. And... You'll get all the rewards we've already talking about. You might, you're still going to stumble when, when, you know, like in Big Daddy, when they throw that stick under you when you're going, you know, down the road or whatever. You're still going to stumble, but you're not going to fall because you'll have God in eternity in mind when that happens. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is this. The fruit of the Spirit produces, produces in a person's life love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. Now, I've always known that as self-control, but maybe someone's like, I don't really want any of that. No, it's, it's the same root verb. So imagine this. Yeah, yeah, I've got a lot of that. Do you? 
Do you have, you know, remember this is a passage where Jesus is saying, don't make other people stumble by your witness or it's better that you had one of those giant stones tied around your neck and you were tossed off the boat into the ocean, right? So do you really show a lot of love for other people around you? Would, would your spouse or your parent or your friend or whatever say, yeah, this person just really exudes love for other people all the time? What about joy? You know, it's been a tough couple of years, right? Are you exuding joy in your life? I know some neighbors that do. You know, I know I have friends that do. And, and it's exciting. It's different in this world that is otherwise kind of outraged or whatever right now, right? It's good. It's good. Do you, do you exude joy in your life? What about peace? This one's a hard one for me because there's always a lot going on. But do you just have this? Are you known to be this person that's just steady? that is just filled with peace. What about patience? Let's just skip that. What about kindness, <laughs> goodness, faithfulness? See, these things, it's meant to convict us, right? It definitely convicts me. Um, it's meant to convict that, but it's actually meant for a goal. Like, man, produce this stuff in your life and it'll be so good, so good. And so what I like to do is I like to like pick the one I'm the least in and just focus on it for a while. Don't pray for patience. That's like a Christian joke. You know, that'll be bad. But, you know, try and exude more patience. Ask God, how can I exude more patience with other people? How can I exude more love, more kindness, more forgiveness for other people? What about that person that's been driving you insane during COVID for whatever reason? How do you exude forgiveness, and then actual love, like authentic in your heart. I don't even care if the other person gets it. I just have it. Love. That's hard, man. It takes work. And that's part of being a disciple. The root word of disciple is discipline, right? Or the other way around. I can never remember. But it's the same word, right? Discipline. It takes discipline to do this stuff because it doesn't come natural because we are born into a fallen creation. And so we are fallen. We, we are... I think the easiest way to think about it is we're spiritually sick. You know, we were born into a spiritually sick world and we've caught it. <laughs> and so, and there's no vaccine for it except Jesus. And we still have to stumble through it, right? Because that's what he's saying right here. But we know where we're going for eternity. All right, the next two. The next two. Uh, verses five and six. So I love this passage because if you haven't read the Bible much, um, I've critiqued it hard. I actually came to faith by trying to disprove faith. I thought it was something for weak people that needed a crutch to lean on. I was angry, and I was 18, so I knew everything. And so I just dove into the Bible and started researching it and, and searching it and just digging into it. And I just found a very different thing that happened here. One of the things that I love to, under, to remember all the time is <clears throat> the Bible is the, still the number one best-selling book in the world. On top of that, the Bible, for obvious reasons, is the number one most heavily critiqued and criticized book in human history, right? And yet, it remains. And yet it is proven true. Archaeologists use it. Scientists believe it to some extent. They would just take it in different directions. But 
You can go find the cities that are mentioned here sometimes, most of the time. You can find, I, I subscribe to a, a magazine called Biblical Archaeology, an old pastor here, uh, Bob Gleason, turned me on to. Um, I mean, you can just find a ton of stuff. Uh, archaeologists that are atheists use the Bible just to find the cities from the descriptions. But also the theology, it's trying to, it's trying to show, you know, this was written by a whole bunch of people spread across, uh, you know, like a thousand or more years in different locations. And they're writing about the same thing. It goes back to that old high school game of telephone where you whisper something into someone's ear, they whisper it in the next person, goes all the way around the circle and comes back to you and it's like something totally different. And since it's high school, often inappropriate. Um, but that's what should have happened with the Bible, but it's consistent, it holds up. Everything across scriptures matches. It matches, and it's held true in real life. This is the great deception, because if any other book did this, we would be all in with that book. Homer's The Odyssey, for instance. A lot of people know that one. I've read it. Um, we don't even know who Homer is or if it was a real character. And that stuff is actually clearly intended to be legendary, but many people believe it's what actually happened during the, the wars there. There's all these things that are going on, but why don't we take the, the book that we claim is from the creator of all things that has been more heavily criticized than any other book. Imagine a Muslim picking up this book and going at it to prove it wrong. It's, of course it's happened. Imagine scientists all over the world picking up this book and trying to ridicule it. Of course it's happened. And yet here it stands. And so they just quietly shelve it and walk away. And that's okay. Again, we've got to put ourselves in their mindset. This is what they've been trained their whole life to believe. And so if we really want to see any change, we have to have a loving relationship with them to get them to open it back up. In Mark 9, chapter or verse 24, it says, uh, uh, and this is great. Oh, wait, wait, I didn't read the verses, did I? Um, verses 5 and 6, I get carried away. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. But the Lord said, hey, if you had faith like just a little mustard seed, you'd be able to say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in, in the sea and it would obey you. This is the other proof that I love about the Bible. The apostles were dumb like me. I mean, they're always messing it up, and they're always, like, getting it wrong, and Jesus is always face-palming, you know? Like, he just, oh, my goodness, you know, I'm about to die for you. Can't you get some of this? Um, if this was a made-up legendary thing, this would be all polished. It would be beautiful. The, the apostles would be massive, sinless saints, you know, and, and incredible men of faith. And no, they're me. They're you. Well, I don't get it. Um, and we've read that in Luke even. And here they're saying, you know, help our unbelief. When they're clearly saying, you know, we struggle to believe this stuff. Would you help, would you help me believe? And Jesus is coming back a mulberry tree. If you're a gardener, it sends out a really complex root system. I didn't know this. I studied it this week. Uh, it sends out this really complex root system. It's almost impossible to pull up. That's why most nurseries and most of us in our homes don't plant mulberry trees because they're not really available because they're a pain. Um, and so he's actually saying if you just had a little bit of faith, you could just grab this mulberry tree that even like modern heavy equipment can't easily get out and you could just rip it out and, you know, put it somewhere else. 
because you have that kind of power available to you, but you're just not getting it. You're not getting it. That's why you're saying, help my unbelief. I'm walking with you. I'm making people see that we're blind. I Remember when I rose that dude from the dead? Remember how stinky it was when they opened that cave up? And it's like, oh. And then I just caught, and he came out. What, what do I need to do here? You know, what do I need to do here? I love that in the Bible, if you look for it, because for me, that just tells you what I believe, which is this is a inspired, a spiritually and wholly inspired um, document, set of documents that's a history of what's gone on. When I, the thing that surprised me the most when I started reading the Bible is that I thought it would be, I was raised Jewish, because we are by blood, but also kind of all faith. So I've been exposed to a lot of uh, holistic healing and uh, uh, what do you call that? New Age um, teachings and Buddhism and all this stuff. But a lot of it is clearly, I remember as a kid growing up, I'm like, Mom, really? You know, I, I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't, uh, yeah, that doesn't make any logical sense to me, and I'm only like 10, you know. <laughs> but I thought that it would be the same way when I picked up the Bible, but instead it was like, well, this is just a historical document, and there's some miraculous, um, we would call it beyond nature, super nature, supernatural things in here, yeah, but it's a historical document. And it just helps me at least feel it, it's reality. In Isaiah 43:10, the Lord says, you people are my witnesses and the servants I chose. I chose you so that you would help people believe in me. I chose you so that you would understand that I am he. I am the true God. There was no God before me and there will be no God after me. Habakkuk, I'm pretty sure that's how you pronounce that, 2.4 says, this message cannot help those who refuse to listen to it but it can help those who are good um, and they will live well because they believe it. If I go up to someone and I, and I have many of these people in my life and I've, I've shared the gospel with them, I've spent years in relationship with them, friendship, family, um, and they just don't want to hear it, well, I just move on. I mean, I, I still love them. We're still family. We're hanging out all the time. It's fun. Um, they're going to know that I'm not going to compromise biblical principles. Um, if, but they rarely do either. They just, you know, don't call them biblical principles. Um, and I'm, I'm just going to continue on. But there are some people that don't want to hear it and will never hear it. There are people at the end of time that do go to hell. And that's very clear, unfortunately, in the Bible. I hope that the God I know, the God of love, has a little get-out-of-jail-free card at the end, but that's not what the Bible teaches us. That's what I heretically say um, or hope for. I don't, I don't actually believe that. All right, last four verses. Let's, let's just jam them down. Um, Luke 17, verse 7. Which of you, this is going to get weird, having a slave plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he has come in from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat? Now, understand that slaves back then were basically servants. So it was, it was different than what we, especially as Americans, fresh off, still sort of fresh off the Civil War and, you know, all the stuff that's going on to this day. It's different than that kind of slavery. This kind of slavery um, was basically, I don't have the means to provide for myself in this primitive culture. You do. Can I come and be the guy who cooks all your meals? 
Can I come and be the guy that cleans your house? You don't, have, you don't do any of that. Can I, I'm willing to be the guy that you can just tell me whatever you need done and I have to do it in exchange for having a place to live and food to eat. And that was extremely common in those times and they did that, but they did call those people slaves. So it's hard for us to kind of translate that into our modern context. And I'm sure they had slaves the way we know slaves. But I don't, you don't see that very much. Like in the Bible or in uh, archaeological records and historical documents, you don't see really, I mean, think about it yourselves, you, you don't see or hear about slaves in ancient times that are just, you know, being strung up and whipped because they disobeyed somebody. Now, some were because that was a punishment. They didn't really have jail for everybody. So they hope maybe if you did something really horrible, they could, you know, physically punish you and you would not do that anymore and often physically punish you in public so that it would also shame you a little bit. But that's not the slave being talked about here, nor was it the norm. The norm was to be basically an indentured servant. And so that's what he's speaking of. Which of you having a slave or servant plowing or tending the sheep will say to him when he's coming from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat. But he will not say to him, uh, but he will not say to him, prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe yourself and serve me while I eat and drink. And afterwards you may eat and drink. He does not thank the slave, the servant, because he did the things which were commanded, which he was hired for, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded, you say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to do. Now, it's super confusing, right? But the idea here is humility. That slave is actually being put up in this passage as the good example. It's just hard for us to get past the word slave. At least it is for me. Um, and so... What he's saying is, look, the slave was hired to, this slave was hired to go work the fields and then come in in the evening and make my dinner, and then his work for the day was done, and he could sit down and have dinner himself or herself. And so it was really uncommon, though I would argue should have still happened. It would have if I was working, if I was there in the time. It's really uncommon to have the, the servant, the slave, come in off the fields, and you're waiting for dinner, um, and to just say, hey, I made dinner. Why don't you come sit down and eat with me? It'd be kind of weird, like, because it would put the servant in a, like, well, you kind of hired me to do that. Am I messing this up? It's, is the food lousy? It's kind of weird sitting with you, but because you didn't normally let me. Um, so it's, it's different. It's a different thing going on here. But it's humility. It's, it's the idea of, uh, and again, the slave is being put up as a good example, the servant, the tedious person. Maybe for our day, it would be, um, like I used to work at Home Depot, and my whole job was driving uh, forklifts and stocking and cleaning, and I come home a mess and stinky every day. And um, that was my job. I mean, that's what I said I would do in exchange for a paycheck for, for like 12 years. And I loved it, you know, but that was my thing. But I wouldn't expect to come into work and punch in and then the boss say, hey, Scott, you don't, you don't need to do anything today. I'm just glad you're here. Just go hang out in the break room all day. That would be real. As a matter of fact, I'm, I brought you Kinder's, you know, because that's the best food in the planet, maybe. Um, and it's in the break room for you. And actually, we have cake and stuff for you later, too, just to thank you for being here. That would be so weird. Like, I would not like that. <laughs> I don't, I, I, it'd be weird, right? And that's kind of what's going on here. It's just having the humility to say, yeah, sometimes 
uh, times get tough, and I'm going to work through it. Sometimes I don't like what my parents are asking me to do, but I'm going to remember they love me, they're providing for me, I'm going to do it. Um, sometimes uh, my coworker, my professor, whatever it is, same examples, you know, like, I don't really like this. I don't write like, I don't like writing 20 page papers. Heck, I don't even like to read. No, and I don't know how to type, you know, whatever. But I signed up for this. I got to get it done or I'm going to get a bad grade, whatever it is. Um, these are just things that go on in life. And that's what he's trying to say here. But he's actually encouraging us to have the humility of spirit to live that out. Because usually what happens is, oh, mom, or may, that's what happened in my house or with me. You know, come on, I'm, I'm playing a game. I'm watching TV, you know, Sanford and Sons. Who remembers that one? All right, all right. It was terrible. We can't play that nowadays. But, um, you know, whatever it was, you know, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm kicking it. I just, okay, okay, I'll take The trash could go out any time. You know, no, it's like having a spirit of, okay. I, you know, this is before the age of even VCR, so I'm going to miss it. But okay, and I'm going to go get the garbage. Uh, maybe I'll say thanks, Mom, for making dinner or whatever, and I'll go toss it and I'll go do it, you know, whatever. And that's a dumb example, but that's the way we should live out our whole lives, right? That's what God is encouraging us to do. More importantly, and in closing, you're welcome, um, it's, it's more of a spirit of how we're to live with God. These are the basic instructions before leaving earth. Love God. That's the first commandment and greatest commandment, according to Jesus. I don't know who you're thinking about. Um, and then love each other. And then Jesus says everything, everything, all of scripture, everything we've been trying to get across to you guys is summed up in those two things. Just do it. I'm sure he went, that's going to be so hard. But that's what he told us to do. And so anytime we're stepping out of that, I just hope you don't feel like you're a failure. You just, you just realize, oh, this is a place I could change my attitude a little bit. This is a place where I'm a little out of alignment with God. And you're just kind of trying to shift all your little pieces, polish up every little thing. And you're still going to be working on it the day you die, but you're going to continue doing that. And along the way, you're going to take on more and more and more of the character of God and what he wants to fulfill in your life and through your life. Let me pray. Father God, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for the fog. I was thinking this morning, wow, that means the earth actually has water in it. Um, we're so grateful, especially here in California, for the rain, for the moisture. Keep it coming, Lord. Um, and just help us remember every day when, when we see ourselves socked in, um, bring a smile to our face and remind us that you brought that rain. And really, not just that simple, silly little example, but in everything. Help us see you more and more every day. Pull off the sickness of living in a fallen world before our eyes. Clean that off more and more, Father, so that we can only see you and see the beauty and the goodness and the order that you have set even in this world. Remind us that we are your sons. We are your daughters. We are your beloved children. And, and like the best father that ever lived and more, you just are so happy to have us as your children, even when we mess up. Just help us have a spirit of repentance, confession, to accept you in faith, to be baptized and discipled and just continue to grow and learn so that we'll stumble less 
and raise our hands more. In Jesus' name, amen. Robert, I think I'm inviting you up for communion now, right? All right, fine. Take it over. Also, some people come to church, uh, come to their faith later in life. But from uh, once you uh, go over the Bible a couple times, you get familiar from familiar with the stories that are in the Bible. I find that when I reread a story that I've read before, it affects me differently. And I, I believe the reason for that is not that the Bible didn't change; I changed. So that means um, there are many reasons why humans change. In the Bible reading that, I mean, I'm in the same Bible reading that Scott's in. So I'm doing he Hebrews right now too, so it's pretty cool. And I, the reason I, one of the reasons I like the reading because when I don't feel like reading, my head hurts, I can close my eyes, I can just press play and it talks to me. It reads it for me. So I really encourage that. Well, you version is what it's called, it's pretty good. Um, I came across a fact in Hebrews that I thought I would like to share. God replaced the old covenant because it was obviously flawed due to a dependence on sinful humans. A be better covenant needs to be grounded on better promises. So, um, Christ's sacrifice for sin is superior to the old covenant. See, God... So loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him should never perish but have everlasting life. When Jesus, see, when the old covenant did their sacrifices, they paid for the penalty of their sin by sacrificing goats, bulls, animals. So they had to do that every single time. So it got burnt offerings. It got old after a while, you know. And the worse the sin, the more they had to do. I'm not exactly sure how it works, but it's just, when Jesus sacrificed himself, he did it one time. Covers it, covers for, covers all the sin. Let us pray. Father, how th how thankful we all all are that you know what we need and always provide a way out when we are tempted. Thank you for your grace, your forgiveness, your mercy. In Jesus' name, Amen. So on the night, Jesus, we'll get our communion elements ready. And in the night, Jesus was. On the night Jesus was betrayed, or before he was having supper with his with his disciples, he took the bread. He said, "Take and eat. Do this in remembrance of me." And in the same way, he said, "This is the cup. This wine is my blood, which is poured out for you for your sins." Notice the really pretty flowers today. It's because uh, Pastor Michael 
from Senti got married yesterday and he left them up so we could enjoy them and so they wouldn't be here till midnight putting them away. Um, we've got a couple of tables in the lobby. One is for Thanksgiving type food. Uh, the San Francisco Rescue Mission is uh, hoping to serve 10,000 Thanksgiving meals to the homeless this year and they are hoping we can help donate towards that. Turkeys, canned goods, table out there. Don't bring the fresh turkey. You can bring money towards the turkey. <laughs> There's another table out there for um, blankets, jackets, and socks. Um, please don't bring other types of clothing. There's no place to donate those right now. They're also taking um, gloves and mittens and hats, I think. And um, Sermon 2.0 is Wednesday night. It's a more in-depth study of the sermon that was happened today on Sunday. You can get a Zoom link from Scott or Barry. And if you're online, please hit like. Let us know you are here. And we're going to close in prayer. Thanks for being here. Father, we thank you. Thank you for the fog. It's it's. I like the fog. It's kind of eerie and it brings moisture. And we thank you for the sunshine that you're bringing us this afternoon. We thank you for the rain. We've needed it so much. And we thank you for being with us here today. We, we hope that everyone felt your presence here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you very much. So I love this final song we're going to do in worship because it starts out, I will listen for your voice. <clears throat> Great song. It's meant to be sung to him. I will listen for your voice. Okay, this I will is huge. It's huge. No, nobody does I will perfectly, right? We all understand that. But I will is a really pleasing thing to say to him. Prepare the way for the Lord, church. And as you sing, drop right into worship. And listen for what he has to say to you in response to your worship today.
so much for your presence with us today. Nothing means more to us than you. Father God, we put you at the top of our priority list. We don't do this with anything or anyone else. This is how we daily worship you and live for you. You are our top priority. Our relationship with you, Lord God, is our most important relationship. Thank you, Lord God, for how your wisdom and your love and your patience and all those incredible fruits of your spirit that we cannot self-produce become evident in our lives because we're connected to you. You are the vine. We are the branches. If we remain in you and you in us, we will bear much fruit, all because of you. Thank you for reminding us to stay connected to you, Lord Jesus. And Father, as we go into our week now, we thank you for being with us. We thank you for, for guarding us. We thank you for counseling us. We thank you for preventing and protecting and providing and all those incredible things that cause us in response to say, Lord, thank you. Jesus, I love you. Holy Spirit, thank you. All these things we say from our hearts to yours, Lord God, that we this morning would be strengthened in the knowledge that we brought joy to your heart today. We did it together. All these things we present to you, Lord, as our offering and our sacrifice, acknowledging our sin, repenting of it, and being released from it. All these things, Lord God, we say and pray in your all-powerful name. Amen. Have a great day. God bless you this morning.